renaissance for deception technology, what's happening with mobile fraud, and a first-hand account of dealing with the aftermath of NotPetya. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. If you think that deception technology is a peripheral tool in the overall arsenal of cybersecurity defence, think again. The days of unsophisticated honeypots are well behind us, and at this year's flagship ISMG Cybersecurity Summit held in New York this week, deception technology was certainly at the forefront of some of the more cutting-edge panel discussions. Its relevance has also not escaped the focus of some of the world's leading research houses, including Gartner and Ovum, which have praised its increasing sophistication and more universal appeal. To tell us more is ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk. The buffet of IT security solutions is maddening. So many products, so many promises, but what will protect your organization? Deception technology is less of a fringe player these days. Although it has been on the radar of well-heeled organizations for some time, it is trickling down into smaller organizations thanks to more manageable product offerings. Deception technology is attractive in that it offers, in theory, low false positives and critical clues to attackers' methodologies. But the benefit depends on its ability to fool attackers and whether organizations can spare the time to fine-tune it. It's also not preventative. It's equivalent of hearing a car window broken in an alley. In their most recent analysis, analysts with Ovum and Gartner give deception kudos for improved sophistication and maturity. But whether deception works for an organization depends on a variety of factors. How well the deceptions are deployed and how to turn the intelligence into something actionable. Rick Turner is a principal analyst at Ovum. He says it's not a surprise that early adopters of deception has been the financial sector, which has large IT security operations, including dedicated threat hunting teams. I think that the the more sophisticated the organization, the more value they're going to get from it, because you're not just doing this to keep the bad guys out, although obviously that is a desired effect. But you're also wanting to to do reconnaissance on who's attacking you. Gardner's latest report, however, has examples of two organizations that favor deception over, say, a traffic analysis tool. That was due to the difficulty of sorting out the signal from the noise in the ladder. Augusto Barros is a Gartner vice president and research analyst. He says the finding was surprising, but usually organizations also had some endpoint or logging tools in place for visibility and forensics, and organizations shouldn't rely on deception alone. They may be already collecting logs, but they are seeing some additional need for for detection capabilities, and instead of selecting something like a natural traffic analysis tool, they may select a deception so that's kind of it's something that will make more sense, right? But if you're thinking about kind of, oh, should we do just deception and not everything else? No, that's not something that we would recommend at any time, especially, right, because you still have kind of some of the visibility uh, need. Deceptions are only as valuable as attackers remain engaged and fooled. In practice, it doesn't always work out that way. Turner says that attackers, as well as penetration testers, are aware of deception and have sussed it out when something looks fishy. Gartner's report describes some unfortunate red teaming scenarios. Some penetration testers identified deception vendors immediately. Barrow says the worst cases where deception vendors were identified occurred two or three years ago, and since then, the vendors in question have improved their products. 
Turner says deception technology is moving into the menu of technologies offered by managed security service providers, and larger security companies are likely to continue to analyze the bevy of deception startups for possible acquisitions. So what should you buy? Gardner says it's good to do a 30-day pilot trial on three deception products before committing. Organizations should have an external red team to see how effective the product is at catching threats. Barrow says organizations should try to validate claims of low false positives, low friction, and the work hours needed to maintain it. Also, organizations shouldn't fall for the proof-of-concept gem, which is an impressive one-off detection not detected by other tools. Augusto Barros again. So many clients end up getting immediately impressed and saying, wow, that's great, right? So this tool is able to detect things that I am not able to detect with the other tools, so it must be very good. I'll buy it, right? But all those other things that I mentioned about the overhead and kind of how to keep it running, false positive rate, uh, is it still relevant? Is it kind of really good against the threats that are mostly concerned with, there are many other questions that you need to validate to a proof of concept. And those are all good tips to keep top of mind when shopping the deception market. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Mobile fraud is escalating. That's the result of recent findings from security company iOvation. According to their research, in the first half of 2019, iOvation saw 49% of all risky transactions come from mobile devices, up from 30% in 2018, 33% in 2017, and just 25% in 2016. I spoke with Melissa Gaddis, iOvation's Senior Director of Client Services, and Brooke Snelling, their Senior Product Marketing Manager, about the findings and asked, what are the most pervasive forms of mobile fraud they're coming across? Here's Melissa. You know, what we are seeing, it really, it really depends on the industry, right? We, we, um, we protect a wide gamut of industries uh, across the board, but we are seeing a lot of um, carding type of transactions, again, going back to the breaches where customers or, or mobile devices are used just to test just to test a credential, trying to test a login, trying to test a credit card, whether or not it works for some small transaction before they go off and, and hit huge. And so um, the credential stuffing we will see uh, a lot of, uh, which leads to ATO account takeover. We will see um, credit card fraud, certainly. Um, and then we also see, because of the type of industries that we, we, we protect, not every type of fraud we protect is a financial fraud. And so a lot of times we'll have spam type fraud come in from these mobile devices as well. Brooke, anything to add there? Yeah, I, I would just, that's, it's so true. We have these different types of fraud uh, for different industries. Uh, we actually track 55 different types of actual fraud within uh, our huge consortium of data. So uh, somebody that is one of our uh, customer subscribers can be looking in and see a particular device and say, hey, this device has, is associated with a kind of fraud from gambling. I'm a banking customer. That doesn't apply to me as much as opposed to uh, this, this customer, uh, this device has been associated with credit card fraud, oh, that is going to apply to me. I want to be careful on this device. So uh, we track 55 different types of those kinds of fraud, and some of them are going to apply 
across industries, and some of them are really kind of more specific for for a specific kind of industry. And we're seeing that within mobile fraud or desktop fraud, uh, there's not really a specific kind of fraud that's associated with mobile devices more so extravagantly than, uh, than what we're seeing in general trends. As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the ISMG Cybersecurity Summit was held in New York this week, which was our biggest event ever, and in my opinion, our best ever as well. The event brought together some of the brightest minds in our industry for two days of incomparable knowledge sharing, networking, and of course fun. It's hard to pick a particular session that stood out as the most memorable, but if I had to, I'd focus on the bookends for the event, the first day keynote discussion with the infamous elder statesman of cybersecurity, Steve Katz and Bill Murray, and the final event, a panel discussion of current generation CISOs, moderated by Joyce Brocaglia, founder of the Executive Women's Forum. The conversation turned to dealing with the aftermath of a significant cybersecurity event, which led to a candid first-hand take of the emotional roller coaster the security teams go through from Janet Scott of Merck, who was there at the time of the NotPetya incident in 2017. Here's Janet. So, um, as many of you know, we did hit, get hit with the NotPetya incident back in June of 2017. And, you know, I think that was every uh, CISOs or cybersecurity professional's nightmare um, come true. And it, it definitely was for us. Um, and to just talk about the, the stress associated with it, when for, for me personally, the stress became um, a matter of can we get our medicines to our patients? And that's what it all came down to. And can we recover quickly enough so that there will be no dis disruption of the medicines? So that was like a weight on all of our shoulders as we were going through this. But as you, when we got hit with the incident, I, I would say I, I went through a number of different you know, emotions through it. So like the first one is shock. Like you don't even know what's happening and how could this be and just trying to figure it all out when it was, you know, zero day. So we really had no um, real understanding of what was going on. It showed up as ransomware only to discover that it was truly a destructive malware attack. You couldn't have paid ram and ransom to, to get the machines back. Um, so you go through that, that period of shock, and then you also go through a period of anger. You're mad, like who in the heck would come in and wipe out a pharmaceutical company that's you know trying to provide medicines to patients? So there was that anger, and it was like they came in and messed up our house. You know, it's like somebody coming in and vandalizing your house. We were mad, um, and then you also went through some level of questioning because I, I truly believe very strongly we have a, a rock solid cyber program very very proud of it and, and you know I go to lots of industry sharing and we were always right up there and yet we still got hit so there was there was that feeling that like well did we do enough did I do enough and it was like second guessing yourself but at the end of the day you ha I had to just take all of those different feelings put them aside and get really really focused and, and we did. We were working around the clock for many weeks. All weekends were just, it was like the summer that never happened for us, actually, is the way we kind of joke about it. Um, but it was like all weekend, no meals with our families, nothing. It was just nonstop focus on getting this company back on its feet so that we could produce our medicines and get them out to the patients. That's what it was all about. So. 
that was really tough. And but I, I will tell you, there's a lot of good, and when I try to look at the positive of it, a lot of good that came out of it, because I would say we are very, very well prepared now. Um, and to I, and we were before, but it's a whole different level of preparation as it relates to we know. When we started out, it was like, you know, through the recovery, it's like, well, we could recover maybe 10 machines a day, which would, if it took the number that we were impacted by, which was tens of thousands, that would have taken us a year to recover. So we had to quickly ramp up to be able to um, recover at, you know, several hundred a day in order to really recover the company. Um, so right now, we know how to do that because we figured it out the hard way. Um, but there's a whole lot of other things that we've learned about, like our most critical systems, you know, how to prioritize, what are the different groups that need to be involved. So we're, we're, we're in far better shape. We've learned a lot about our environment. We've learned a lot about what systems we never recovered and really don't need to, so it was kind of a way to cleanse in some ways. Um, but there was a, um, but you know, the, the main takeaway for me is just the resolve now that I have um, to make sure that what we're doing as far as really understanding what are the most critical controls that need to be in place and, and, our, and my resolve around staying really, really focused. I mean, I, we were before, but it's at a whole new level. And I have like somewhat of a level of impatience and intolerance from anything that distracts us from our ultimate goals of making sure that the company is protected as best as it can be and should be. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.